diversity and inclusion to me means the opportunity for people to bring their full selves to the table where everyone has an opportunity to express their voice and then they also have the feeling that their voice is being heard. You're listening to the Critical Language Scholarship's Diversity and Inclusion podcast series, where we deep dive into issues of identity and global experiences. Come along with us as we cross borders of geography, ideas, and cultures with CLS alums from all over. My name is Ashley Rivenbark, and I participated in CLS in Hangzhou, China in 2014. I currently live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I work as a learning and development coordinator for Protivity, a global financial services consulting firm. Let's welcome today Cheyenne Harris. Hi, everyone. My name is Cheyenne Harris. I studied in Hikone, Japan as a part of the CLS program in 2015. I am currently a civil engineer with an environmental engineering firm known as Brown and Caldwell. Just to get things started, I was curious to ask, what made you want to study Japanese? That's so awesome. So my interest in Japanese actually started as a high schooler. I was really looking for a way to challenge myself academically. And my school offered a couple of language programs, including Spanish, French, and Japanese. I figured Japanese would be the most challenging of those three. So Mm -hmm. I started studying as a high schooler and actually really enjoyed learning about the culture, the respect for nature, reverence for tradition. And through the, the positive experiences I had studying in high school, I decided to continue language study once I got to college. I think that's really unique as well. And I'm, again, not trying to knock anyone that studies Japanese for this reason, but I feel like a lot of the people that I talk to that choose to study Japanese do it primarily because of the anime component. But it's neat that you kind of got into it for different reasons. Yeah, definitely a roundabout way. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. And so why do you believe, I know you had studied it in high school, that's where you started. Why do you believe that learning a language in the target country is important as opposed to just classroom learning here in the States? Learning the target language in the actual country presents a couple of unique opportunities, mm-hmm. mainly in regards to get, gaining a better understanding of modern day culture. In regular classroom settings, there is the opportunity to learn about both uh, historical and modern culture. Mm-hmm. However, being in the country where the language is primarily spoken presents a unique opportunity to gain a firsthand understanding of culture and practices and kind of how things are done on a day-to-day basis. Right. And did you find, because I know I found this studying Chinese, that the, that the way you learn it in the classroom can oftentimes be way different than how people actually speak it in the country. Absolutely. Especially amongst uh, the younger generation, there Mm -hmm. is a different way of speaking that isn't necessarily reflected in typical textbook learning. Yeah. And did you find that the, the people in Hikone had, I guess, a different accent or a different dialect? There were some regionally specific dialects that were prevalent amongst the people people in Hikone, Mm -hmm. that same thing would not be reflected in a traditional Japanese language textbook. How do you feel right now, because you had mentioned that you're uh, a civil engineer, which is so cool. How do you utilize the experiences and language competencies that you gain through CLS 
in your current job or, you know, in everyday life? While I don't use Japanese as a part of my day-to-day job, the <laughs> skills that I developed as a result of learning the language, but specifically during my CLS experience, have really enabled me to be where I'm at today. So specifically, CLS was a really challenging experience for me. Um, it took me out of my comfort zone. It was my first time traveling abroad, so oh, being wow. in a totally new environment and having to function in a language that I had studied for a few years prior, but that was really my first experience functioning in Japanese day in and day out for two to three months straight. So as a result of CLS, the adaptability that I learned is what enables me to adapt in the different situations I have in my job now. And given that I don't know, understand all the pieces that are influencing the way civil engineering is done, I think Mm -hmm. as a result of the adaptability I learned in CLS, I am better equipped to be a civil engineer now. That's fantastic. Yeah. And I I can't even imagine, you know, not only going abroad to a a new place in a completely different language, but having it be your first time abroad, because I feel like that's an especially huge step. Absolutely. That's that's amazing. (laughs) Cool. And so how do you, you mentioned that you don't um, use Japanese currently in your job. And I feel that because I, I unfortunately don't get to use a lot of my language skills. I think a lot of CLSers are in that same boat. So how do you continue to practice and maintain your Japanese language skills? As of now, the best way I've been able to practice and maintain language skills is essentially by listening to NHK, the Japanese news service, oh, listening cool. to their different um, news broadcasts to keep up my listening skills and then in the area where I live at, there are some Japanese language meetups. And so that provides a good opportunity to get some speaking practice in. But I definitely would like to continue to strengthen my language ability, even though I don't use it on a daily basis. Yeah, that's really cool that you're able to find people in your community that want to practice Japanese as well. And so transitioning a little bit into, I guess, the meat of this podcast, which is diversity and inclusion. I wanted to ask you what diversity and inclusion means to you and why you believe that it's important in the context of language learning abroad. Diversity and inclusion, to me, means the opportunity for people to bring their full selves to the table, where everyone has an opportunity to express their voice, and then they also have the feeling that their voice is being heard. In the context that. in the context of language learning, there's a unique opportunity to really have some unconventional learning opportunities when there's a diverse group of people who are learning a language together. I think as people bring their different perspectives and experiences to the table and they have the opportunity to share those experiences with others, that presents a really unique opportunity for people to really bounce ideas off of each other and to really grow their language ability both individually but also as a collective group as well. Wow, you really just blew my mind because I think, you know, I think a lot of diversity and inclusion in the context of, you know, the working environment and bringing your, like you said, bringing your full self to the table, but I never thought of it in the context of you know, language learning is so objective where, you know, you have to memorize these conjugations and these words, but I never thought about how diversity and inclusion can play 
such a huge factor in, in the different perspectives, like you said, bringing to that language learning. So when you're talking about bringing your full self to the table, when you were in Japan studying through CLS, do you feel like you were able to bring your full self to the table in that learning environment? Absolutely. I think given that my CLS cohort was such an eclectic group of people, I think our experience was strengthened by the fact that everyone had vastly different experiences. Going into it, I was very concerned. I studied engineering in college, so Japanese was something that, although I had a passion for, it was something that definitely got put on the back burner throughout my collegiate experience. So CLS was the first time I was able to kind of step into what it would look like to really strengthen my passion for Japanese language and culture, but while also navigating it as a engineering student as well. And I think given that there was a wide range of perspectives, there was a PhD student who was studying anthropology, but looked at it from the perspective of beer. We had movie studies major who was constantly making movies to figure out how to look at the world in new perspectives. Mm -hmm. And myself, who was an engineering major, looking at how do we improve society through infrastructure. So as we're coming with these totally different vantage points, it was a really unique opportunity to both to study Japanese together. Wow, that's awesome. And so do you think, I guess, having all of these different groups of people in your class with you and learning the language, do you think that having all those people bring their unique perspectives to the table helped you learn the language better? Yeah, because as people came with their different passions, experiences, language levels, I think for me, it was a unique opportunity to kind of see someone else's perspective and to get to talk with them and get to hear their experience to better understand their experience of learning Japanese and then to right. strengthen my language ability as well. So moving on, can you tell us about a time when you felt that a certain facet of your identity was at the forefront of how others perceived you in Japan? So for instance, you know, we... Prior to, to starting this podcast, we talked a little bit about your experience as a STEM major and specifically as a woman in STEM. Do you think that, you know, how do you think that that shaped your experience? I think being a woman in STEM during my CLS experience brought a new perspective to the Japanese people that I interacted with, um, particularly in my host family when I shared with them that I was studying engineering at my home university in the U.S. It, it really actually blew their minds because not that many women go into engineering or STEM fields in general in Japan. So for them oh, to really? see this American woman who has this really strong passion for engineering, um, but also has a really strong passion for Japanese, I was able to have some really unique conversations with them about what it means to be a woman in the STEM field and kind of where I was looking to go in my career once I finished school as well. So in Japan, why do you think that not many women go into the STEM field? I think to a certain extent, it is a cultural phenomenon, given that women are typically seen to as best fit for one particular occupation and mm. not necessarily another. And it's definitely a, something that plays out in lots of other countries around the world. But I think um, in Japanese culture, there's these preconceptions of what a Japanese woman should be or the kind of 
things Japanese women should be interested in. And I think as a result, not many Japanese girls or women or women are encouraged to enter the STEM field. Wow. And that's so interesting because I, I feel like a lot of people have this perception of Japan as this really high tech country and really, I guess, quote unquote, progressive. So that really surprises me that that's the case. Yeah, it's, it's starting to change um, now, which is a good sign. But those uh, historical trends are still there. So it does make it a challenge for Japanese women to enter those fields in higher numbers. Right. And so when you were talking to your host family about your background, you know, how did they react to that? What was their reaction? While they were really surprised, they were also really impressed, uh, given mm -hmm. that I had the opportunity to study engineering in the U.S., but also the opportunity to study Japanese as well, because they kind of saw both uh, engineering and language study as contradictory ideas. So they were Ooh. really surprised that um, I was able to do both of those things while in college. Do you think that there's any sort of truth in that, in the contradictory nature of engineering or and language learning, or do you think those two kind of go hand in hand? I think they actually go hand in hand. While, while some people may have the misconception that they're totally unrelated and they really don't serve each other through the, my experience of studying engineering and my experience of Japanese in my life, they've actually really complemented each other. So in your experience, I guess it could be with STEM or with how women are viewed. How do you think diversity and inclusion is addressed as a whole in Japan? Diversity and inclusion is starting to be addressed on a larger scale in Japan, particularly amongst the younger generation where they're looking to kind of break out of these historical molds on what an ideal Japanese person enters as a career path or mm -hmm. the kind of passions they have or even the way Japanese people look. I think mm -hmm. there still are some challenges with given the level of homogeneity in Japanese society, there are some challenges with how do you identify as a Japanese person if you don't fit the quote unquote Japanese mold. Mm -hmm. However, given events of the past couple of years, whether it's uh, Miss Japan a few years ago was biracial. There's a couple of young Japanese athletes who are really making some large scenes on international stage. I think that is starting to change how Japanese people address diversity and inclusion. However, on the whole, there are some challenges that still persist. And so you had kind of talked about this conception of, in Japan, of what makes someone Japanese. In Japanese perspective, what, what makes someone Japanese? I feel like that's, that is a really difficult question yeah. to answer. And I think that that question is definitely being played out in Japanese society mm -hmm. now. I think historically, what it meant to be Japanese was to look a certain way, to dress a certain way, and to have a respect for maintaining a sense of harmony mm -hmm. in, in one's family group or any other immediate group that someone may be involved in. And so... You kind of talked a little bit um, about how things are changing in Japan and how the conceptions of what it means to be Japanese or the different career paths that you can follow are, are changing. So what do you think, I guess, needs to be improved upon in Japan from that perspective? And what do you think that the U.S. could learn from? Because I feel like, you know, the perspective of, of STEM, especially among women, is also a little bit stifled here in the U.S., in regards to what 
Japan can do to continue to build upon the work that's being done. I think there's more opportunity for Japanese society as a whole to listen to underrepresented groups, whether it's women, whether it's biracial people, whether it's people from the immigrant community. I think if Japanese society does a better job of listening to those particular groups, then there can be more of an opportunity to continue to break the mold and to encourage people to enter different fields or to really explore what it means to be Japanese. As to what the U.S. could learn, I think given the strong respect for tradition in Japan, I think if the U.S. could kind of evaluate what that means for U.S. society as a general, given that Americans come from so many different backgrounds, so many different experiences, places all around the world. I think we're seeing now the challenges in the nation that comes to what does it mean for us to look back at our history? What does it mean for us to value our history in a way that respects others, but also doesn't try to wipe out someone's story as well? So I think that is something that's going to need to be considered. And we're kind of seeing the challenges of how that's playing out now. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I love that you mentioned, you know, being conscientious about not wiping out someone's story, especially since through this podcast, our main goal is storytelling. And so I'm so glad that you're here today sharing your story and your perspectives. So moving on, as we kind of wrap up the podcast, one thing that we really like to do is enter into what we call the lightning round segment. So we're going to ask a couple questions based on your experiences, um, and it's going to be kind of quick. So are you ready? I am. (laughs) Awesome. So number one is, what is your favorite food in Japan? Hands down, okonomiyaki. Oh my gosh. I lo- so when I was there, I also had that and I love it. So Yes, really good. Awesome. Do you know how to make it on your own? I, I haven't made it here, but I think that'd be a good challenge to see how well I could pull it off. <laughs> awesome. And also, I like. can you say it one more time, the name of the food? Okonomiyaki. So, all right. What was your favorite place that you visited while in Japan, either through CLS or through your Gilman and Born experience? I definitely enjoyed visiting Kyoto, just such a historical city and really interesting architecture. All right. Next is, what's your favorite phrase in Japanese? My favorite phrase in Japanese is naruhodo, and it means all right. (laughs) Oh, awesome. So is it more of like, hey, how are you doing? And then you say it or? Or it's, it's more like if presented with like a situation that isn't necessarily in your favor you just kind of say naruhodo like all right i i see the challenges in this but i'm gonna keep on persevering anyway (laughs) oh that's fantastic say it one more time naruhodo naruhodo very cool tell us about a time in which you were in japan and you wanted to cry uh definitely my first week of cls i was having a lot of challenges adapting to speaking in japanese all the time Given that it was my first time abroad, there was a lot of homesickness at play. So it yeah. definitely that first week of CLS was uh, extremely challenging. <laughs> yeah. And so what were some of the things, you know, we, we're hopefully going to get a lot of people listening to this that are prospective CLSers. So what are some things that you tell them to help remedy that? What are some things that you did to help kind of cope with that homesickness and that strain of having to speak Japanese all the time? I definitely reached out to 
other members of the cohort who were who had had previous experience traveling in Japan. So we took some time during one of our uh, dedicated times where we could speak English. I took some time to speak with some people who were more experienced in Japanese language and culture to kind of get their perspective and to share the challenges I was having with them. And they were able to shed some light on the situation and kind of reassure me that it's okay to have challenging experiences, but it's also okay to really express how you're feeling in the midst of the moment. All right. Next one is tell us about a time in which you were reminded of how happy you were to be in Japan. It was one particular day in CLS where it was a really bad rainstorm, mm-hmm. but where we were at in Hikone was really a beautiful place surrounded by nature. So kind of seeing the rain falling over the mountains and kind of being outside in the midst of super crazy weather. It was like a really awe-inspiring experience to kind of see nature and to be in a really beautiful place as well. So that was a really happy memory of my CLS experience. Tell us about an aha moment that you had while studying through CLS. It could be maybe when you realized your language abilities were improving or a moment that you made a a real deep connection with the host culture. Probably the biggest aha moment I had while at CLS, one of our cultural excursions was to a village, probably about an hour outside of Hikone, where the average age of the villagers had to be like 85. Wow. And the village survived entirely on a water treatment system that used koi fish. So as we're, we're touring the village and we're, you know, talking with the villagers and they're showing us this koi fish water treatment system, I'm like, this is like wonderful because it's like the, my passions for Japanese language and culture are combining with, you know, this civil engineering background. And I'm kind mm-hmm. of seeing how these two areas connect. And it was just a really awesome experience to be there and experience such a unusual phenomenon (laughs) but also really cool technology as well even though it's some people would say it's not technology at all but it's really cool to see interesting have you ever considered going back to japan and working as a civil engineer there absolutely given that california and japan have very similar infrastructure challenges whether it's dealing with earthquakes, pipelines, bridges, anything of that nature, I think that there is an opportunity for me to grow as a civil engineer and to evaluate kind of what it means to be a civil engineer, both here in California, but also in Japan as well. So, All right. So to wrap it up, what is the biggest piece of advice that you would give to someone who's about to visit Japan for the first time? I would advise a first-time visitor to Japan to have a conversation with Japanese people there. I think Japanese people are really friendly and they're open to sharing their culture and a lot can be gained by a visitor just having one really simple conversation with a Japanese person there. I think you you may be surprised at what the conversation may lend itself to or even if it's just like a really small brief conversation on the train somewhere. Like I think there are a lot of unique opportunities to learn about Japanese culture, but there are also are a lot of unique gems uh, amongst the people as well. Wow. Can you, and I know this is, this is probably a tough question, but can you think of a particular conversation that you had with someone in Japan that was really poignant for you? Yeah. One of the students that 
I met at the host university had shared how they had a really strong passion for environmental science and that they wanted to work for the Japanese government's Ministry of Environment. Mm -hmm. However, their parent didn't support that decision because in Japan, government jobs aren't very lucrative. Mm -hmm. And the student's parent wanted them to enter a more lucrative field given how much money the parent was putting into the student's education. So I really, I really felt for the student because even though they had this really strong passion for community stewardship, they felt this conflict between maintaining harmony within their family, but also following their own passion. Wow. And do you know what they ended up doing? So the student's actually in graduate school now, so they still really haven't completely decided on which path they're going to go in, but they're still Mm -hmm. within the environmental science field. So that's at least is still a good sign. Yeah. And again, I love how just, as you were mentioning, such a simple conversation with someone can turn into a real eye opener about Japanese culture. Like you said about the harmony between the family relationships and between pursuing jobs. So gosh, that's so interesting. As we wrap up, we ask all the people we interview to say goodbye to everyone in the language that you studied while you were at CLS. So could you do us the honors of saying goodbye to everyone in Japanese. Minasan, deshita. Oh my God. <laughs> that, is, that is so cool. Can you break that down? Like what each piece of that means? So minasan is everyone. And then oskare sama deshita can translate to goodbye, but also like thanks or see you later. So multiple, multiple meanings amongst that one, but. Wow, that is so phenomenal. Well, thank you again so much for joining us, Cheyenne. Glad to hear, and I definitely thank you for the opportunity. And that concludes our episode for today. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our podcast today. We want to give a special shout-out and thank you to CLSAS and CLS Ambassadors for supporting this programming. And if you guys want to learn more about CLS or CLSAS or even beyond future episodes of the podcast, Go to clsas.org and then go to the media tab. And thank you listeners and participants of the pod for being open-minded and willing to jump into these tough but important conversations. See you until next time.